The following audio is from Norris Ferry Community Church. More information about Norris Ferry Community Church is available at norrisferrychurch.org. Matthew chapter 13, verse 44 through 46. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who, on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure a man found in a field. He went and sold all that he has to buy the field because he saw how much worth and value there was in the treasure. And I want to read something to you uh, real quick. Um, the staff, uh, we're reading a book called Rhythms of Grace right now. It's about worship. And it says this. It says that God created worship and created it anew in Christ. So not only is he the supreme object of all of our worship and praise, he's also its author, giving us life and breath, vision and redemption, eyes to see, ears to hear, and mouths to declare his goodness and glory. Worship is about God from beginning to end. God is the center of the believer's worship. He is the single most glorious thing in the whole universe, the one to whom we ascribe the greatest and highest worth. He is the one who has value. By this, of course, I mean God the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, who are three but one, sharing and exchanging glory in a dance beyond our imagination. This morning, we worship the one who is of greatest value, who deserves glory and honor and praise. And there's nothing worth more than our Savior, Jesus Christ. God, for those of us who are in Christ Jesus, uh, there is nothing worth more than to be in your presence, the presence of our Creator, our Lord, of our Savior, our Redeemer, the one who has shown us grace and mercy and forgiveness, the one who walks with us each day. God, thank you that you've given us the Holy Spirit, Lord, to live in us, Lord, to guide us, to convict us, to challenge us. Lord, thank you for that gift. Thank you for the gift of Jesus. And the hope we have through his suffering, through his death on the cross, through his resurrection. Lord, thank you that we have hope to approach a holy God. The God who is worthy of all worship, of all praise, of all people, of all time. Only you are worthy. God, thank you. Thank you that you loved us so much that you sent your son Jesus in the form of man, to the cross. Lord, we love you. We thank you for Jesus, and it's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Please be seated. 
Turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 13, verse 44 through 46. We're looking at two parables today as we continue our study of Jesus' discourses uh, in Matthew. Third grade and under, you are dismissed to your class. Thank you for worshiping with us. So, what does it cost to follow Jesus? What has it cost you to follow Jesus? What kind of sacrifices have you had to make in order to follow Jesus? As I thought about that question this week, I thought, well, it costs us time in different forms. It costs us time in the sense that we, we have to choose what to do with our time. If we're following Jesus, we'll, we'll spend time reading his word. We'll spend time gathering together to worship. Uh, we'll spend time, we'll spend our vacation time possibly going down to New Orleans this weekend to help pull off a, a Easter service for a church that we've planted down there. Uh, you spend time going on mission trips, you spend time serving children in the back, spend time on the, the coffee shop team. There's all different ways that we spend our time. So following Jesus costs time. Following Jesus uh, may cost us career goals. Maybe there's something that you wanted to do when you got out of college. Maybe there was a job that was a high-paying job, and you said, you know, I, I can't take that because it's not going to align with God's plans and purposes for my life. Uh, maybe it's cost you a promotion because you wouldn't compromise your moral values uh, uh, in order to get the sale or to close the deal. Following Jesus costs, um, costs your money. I mean, when we say we're following Christ, he says, I have sent you to go make disciples. He expects his disciples to fund the mission work, to to pay the electric bills, the lights come on here, to, to send the gospel to South Sudan and beyond, and to plant churches in New Orleans, and to pay the staff, and to do all that, that God has called us to do. It costs money, and, and he says, I expect my people who follow me to, to pay for that. Some of us tithe and 10%. There's a lot of things you could spend 10% of your income on. Some of us are supporting missionaries and other ways, there's, it costs money to, to follow Jesus. Perhaps it's cost relationships. Uh, maybe you've, as a student, decided to follow Christ, and those high school years is where it really starts to separate out. You choose a path, and when you look around to see who's, who's walking with you on that path to follow Jesus, a lot of times you find that, that your friends no longer are walking the same path. And you have to choose, are you going to sacrifice those friendships and those relationships or not? We see similar results as, as adults. Or perhaps in your own family, as you've decided to follow Christ, maybe people in your family don't agree and, and don't value Christ, and so it's caused a separation and division. Jesus has talked about that, the division that he causes in families. To follow Jesus, there's, there's going to be sacrifices we sacrifice our freedom. When we follow Christ, we say we're no longer free to live however pleases us. There are do's and don'ts. There are God's commands, God's wills, God's plan, God's purposes. And we are no longer free to just do whatever we want to do, whatever pleases us. We obligate ourselves. We submit to the will of God. We are only committed to doing what pleases God. In fact, Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, no one can serve two masters. In other words, you either 
sacrifice everything to follow Jesus and he's your master or you're following something else. In Matthew 10, 39, he said, whoever finds his life will lose it and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. In other words, to follow Jesus costs you everything. It costs everything to follow Jesus. Too many times we put Jesus in a little category in our life. We say Jesus and church and religion fit in this little box over here, but all the other things that I treasure fit in other boxes, and Jesus is just allocated a portion of our life. Jesus says, that's not how it works in my kingdom. You follow me. I am Lord of everything. In fact, a lot of times we use Jesus to give us what we want in the other categories. But Jesus says, when you follow me, I am the category. That everything comes into submission to me. It costs us everything to follow Jesus. And so I have a question. Why in the world would anybody do that? Why would anyone give up their rights to their life? Give up to their, their rights to their, how they'll spend their money, their time, their energy, their relationships, their career. Why in the world would anyone follow Jesus when it costs everything? That's what we're going to look at today. In two very short parables, Jesus gets at this. This is the heart of these parables. Why would anyone follow Jesus when he says, to follow me, you have to give up your rights to everything in your life? Father, would you help us this morning? Would you give us faith, give us ears, spiritual ears to hear the message that you have? Give us eyes to see what you would teach us. We need faith to understand the point of these parables. It's in Christ that we ask this. Amen. All right, so we're just going to look at two very short parables it help us understand the nature of the kingdom. Remember, that's what Jesus has been doing. He's been teaching in parables. And he says, why do you, they, the disciples said, why do you teach in parables, Jesus? Why are you speaking riddles? He said, because only those who have faith will, will seek understanding in these parables and gain from them. Those who don't have faith don't care and get nothing out of it. So I pray that we all have faith to see what Jesus is teaching us about the nature of the kingdom of God. Now remember, a parable is not to be taken real wooden or real literally. It's not a one-to-one -one comparison and interpretation. It's the situation of the parable gives us an understanding of the situation as it is in the kingdom of God. So in this first parable, the parable of the treasure, verse 44, Jesus says, The kingdom of heaven is like this. It's, it's like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. And then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has to buy the field. <clears throat> okay, so let's figure out this scene of what's going on here. Jesus is speaking to a culture that was an agrarian society. They didn't have banks where you took your cash and put it in the bank and, and everything was safe and sound. In fact, they had any possessions they had were very vulnerable to raiders and looters would come in very often and, and take everything of value in the town. And so it became custom for them to bury it in the field. And that would be harder for someone to find their treasure if they buried it in their field. 
Now, in that day, there was a law that said if you happened to stumble across one of these treasures, apparently it happened enough that they had a law. So there was a, there was a law that said if you happened to stumble across one of these treasures, you, if you lifted it up out of the ground, it belonged to the landowner, and you had to, by law you had to tell them you found it. But if you left it in the ground and you went and got the money to buy the land, the treasure went with the land. In other words, if that person sold it, Knowing they, they didn't know that treasure was there, then it was yours to keep. And now some of this time, a couple of these parables, you kind of wonder about the, the morality of it. But we need to back up a step and just, just get the situation down. And, and that helps us understand the nature of the kingdom of God. So imagine a landowner had a treasure and he buries it in his field, but then he dies without telling anyone about that treasure. And so that land goes to the second owner, second generation of owner, and they have no idea the treasure is buried in the field. And so he owns the land, and he has laborers who are working the field, and this laborer, head down, just doing his job, doing what he does, digging, planting, and one day his shovel hits something. And so he uncovers it, he spreads the dirt off, and he sees... This is a treasure box. Knowing the law, he doesn't take it out of the ground, but he opens the lid and sees there is a fortune more than multiple lifetimes that he could ever earn. And so what does he do? Well, we can imagine what this is like. What would you do? What would you do if you were uh, a son of a man who owns some land and And he says, listen, son, I want you to to buy this field from me. I want you to keep this land in the family. And you're kind of begrudging, like, I didn't even want to be a farmer. And he says, it's important to me. This land's been passed down generation after generation. And and, and you're thinking, okay, well, I guess I got to do this. I got to buy the land. But then one day, news reaches your ears about the Hainesville Shale. And all of a sudden... The conversation at the house with your wife goes a little differently. Instead of, honey, I'm sorry, but we've got to sell the car, we've got to sell the house, we've got to sell your jewelry because we've got to buy this field. My, my dad is putting the pressure on me to, to keep the field in the family. She's not too excited about that conversation. But when you come home and say, honey, I'm getting the field at the cost, the fair market value of dirt, and it's worth a billion dollars. The hazel shell is underneath our land. She's like, sell it all here. Take it. Sell it all. Buy the field so that we can get the value of the land, the treasure in the land. And that's exactly what we see in verse 44. This man does. Upon realizing the value of the treasure, it says in the second part of 44, then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has And he buys that field. Notice two things. The cost of the land and the attitude. The cost of the land. How much did it cost him to get the field? Did he have to sell his his gun collection, but he got to keep everything else? Did he have to sell his, his boat, but at least I get to keep everything else? I didn't have to sell my house. Or perhaps I had to downsize his house and live a little bit more moderately in order to to do... No, what does it say? He had to sell everything. All in. 
That's what Jesus is saying. This is what it's like in the kingdom of God. This is what it's like to follow me. You don't get to just keep holding on to those treasures. and You don't get to say that I'm going to give 10%, but 90% is mine. See, we love to talk that way, but that's not what God says. God says, it's all mine. I want you to put it all on the table, God says. Jesus says, if you're going to follow me, all the money's mine. And I'll let you take care of enough to provide for your needs, but you need to put it all on the table. All your relationships are mine, he says. If you're going to follow me, put them all on the table. Your career is mine. If you're going to follow me, put your career on the table. Lord, what would you have me do? How can I glorify you in my career? Everything is Jesus. If you're going to follow Jesus, if you're going to call him king, if you're going to call him ruler, if you're going to call him Lord, he says, you have to be all in. You don't get to just pick and choose. You don't just downsize. You don't just put him in a category. He is the all-comprehensive category, and everything that you have, everything that you are, all of your hopes, all of your dreams, all of your aspirations, all of them are laid at the feet of Jesus and brought into submission to his rule and his reign. That's the commitment that he calls from us. Why in the world would anyone do that? Well, we see here the attitude is joy. The difference between those two analogies, the field where there is no treasure, there is no Hainesville shale, and you're selling it because you feel obligated to do what your dad says. You're selling it out of duty. There's no joy. It's just duty. I've just got to do this. This is what my dad wants. Or out of fear. This, my dad's going to disown me. My dad's going to be mad at me. Too many people live the Christian life this way. We think, well, I've got I've to give because God's going to be mad at me if I don't. I've got to honor him. I've got I've to choose this career path or, or God's going to punish me if I don't. Or I've got to go to church this morning because it's just what my, I, it's our duty. This is what we're supposed to do. I should read my Bible. I should have prayer time. And see, they're motivated by guilt or by duty or by fear, anything but joy. Jesus says, that's not how it is in my kingdom. He says, in my kingdom, it's motivated, it's, it's done with an attitude of joy. Is that the way it's described? Does, does this parable describe you? Perhaps if the parable was written about your life. What, what, what would the, how would we change the parable? Would the parable be, the kingdom of heaven is like a man who toils in the field all of his life trying to earn his father favor, but he dies in the field. Jesus has a much different parable. D.A. Carson summarizes this parable saying, this, he says, the kingdom of heaven is worth infinitely more than the cost of discipleship. And those who know where the treasure lies joyfully abandon everything else to secure it. 
Jared reminded me this week in staff about a man named Joseph and who lives in the South Sudan. And what happened in his life was he's just going about his day like this man across the field, just doing his normal routine, walking in the dark as they do in, in South Sudan. The deposit are just always walking everywhere. They're just constantly walking, walking for miles and miles. Well, one day, just in his normal routine, he's walking across uh, the field, and, and he sees a, a gathering of guys, probably his friends from his village, and, and in the, 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 the action, he gets excited, and he comes up to them expecting, he says, to, to see that they were planning a cattle raid. He, he thought they were planning to, to figure out where are we going to go, whose cattle are we going to steal, which was a big deal in their culture. I mean, if you're caught stealing cattle, they kill you. They, they kill you on the spot. And so this is just the way of life that tells you the, the nature of his lifestyle at that time. But as he comes to this group of guys talking, he, he, he just suddenly discovers they're not planning a cattle raid. They're listening and discussing their audio Bible that you sent over there. And so he hears the word of God and suddenly... For the first time, out of nowhere, just unsuspecting, he discovers the treasure of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and it radically changes his life. Amen. He's one of the faithful leaders of the Christian movement over there. It, it, costs, them, it costs them everything to follow Christ there. If, you, if you're the one guy in the village who doesn't pray to the witch doctor for the rains, and the rains don't come, guess who's blamed? The Christian. It costs relationships. It costs all types of struggles. But he discovered the value. And so he joyfully gave the cost. He gave it all to follow Christ. Can that be said of us? Is that your mindset when it comes to being a follower of Christ? Is it instead of a category where I'll give Jesus a little bit or is it like we see here that we've discovered the treasure of Christ and we joyfully sacrifice, we're all in because he's so worth it. With that in mind, let's keep reading the second parable, which is similar but makes a little nuanced point. Look at verse 45. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. So similar point, upon seeing the value of the pearl, he sells all that he has in order to buy it. But in this case, the little nuance is he was searching for treasure. He was searching for something of value. He was comparing one pearl to the next pearl. He's on a, a journey of discovery. His life is committed. He's a merchant committed to finding the most valuable pearl that was worthy of him selling out. I wonder how many people here today are searching for something of such value worthy of you giving your life to. It's Jesus. Are you, are you comparing religions? Are you comparing philosophies? Christ says to follow me. You will follow me if you discover that I am the pearl of greatest value, worthy of selling out and going all in for Jesus. 
My brother is in sales, has been in sales his whole life, and he repeated something he learned, a little phrase that he learned from someone once, and it's just always stuck with me. He says, price is only an issue in the absence of value. And so a salesman knows that if I can help someone see the value of something, then they're not going to be worried about the price. Price is only an issue in the absence of value. We can apply that to the kingdom. Jesus saying, the sacrifice... The cost of following me is only an issue in the absence of value. But when you see the value of Christ and his kingdom, the cost is not an issue. Do you see the value of Jesus? What is Jesus worth to you? As I thought about this weekend, I... I was thinking through the scriptures of of all the value of Jesus, and I can't fully give it what it deserves, but just think about it, his his spirit. When you trust Christ, you, you are indwelled with the spirit of God. How much is that worth to you? Forgiveness of sin, removal of guilt and shame, his love, his righteousness, his wisdom, His insight, his peace, his joy, his protection, his purposes for your life, rescuing you from the futility of life, victory over sin, increasingly getting freedom from addictions. Those are just some of the blessings now, some of the value now, but think about his promises. He promises life after death. That is enough. Life after death. How much is that worth to you? He promises that you'll be perfected, that he will establish justice on earth. There will be no more injustice. He promises you will have eternal enjoyment of God, your creator, fully uninhibited by sin and frustration, but you will have fullness of God eternally, forever and ever, on a new heavens and a new earth, removing all sin, all causes of sin, Returning to as we see in the scriptures in Genesis, before the fall, as it is in, the, in, the, in Genesis, in the garden. He promises that all the spiritual blessings of the heavenly places are yours in Christ. Do you see the value of Jesus? And it's, it's not just a head thing. There's a heart that must have faith, that, that treasures these truths, these realities. It is these treasures that motivate us, that that enable us to joyfully set it all on the table for Jesus. To say, Jesus, all of this belongs to you. My relationships belong to you. If choosing to follow you costs me all of my friends, it's worth it. You're worth me giving you all of my resources, Lord, my time, my money, my energy, my passions, my plans, my desires, my dreams, all of it, Lord. It's all laid at your feet because you are worth it. This is why so many people in our church have have chosen at great cost to themselves. When God told them, I want you to foster or adopt a child, they say it's worth it. You're worth it. That's why people are going down this weekend to help the church plant in New Orleans. Though it costs them their vacation time, they could be doing other things. But they say, yes, Lord, it's worth it. 
That's why people spend thousands of dollars to go with us to South Sudan to to share the gospel. Because they say, Jesus, you're worth it. Your expansion of your kingdom is worth it. That's why God, when he called my family to walk away from a lucrative career to go into the ministry, we said, yes, Lord, it's worth it. You're worth it. Maybe God has called you to do something, but all you see is the cost. All you see is the cost. The only reason we see the cost is because we've forgotten the value of Jesus and his kingdom. What's the parable of your life? He's worth it. Paul says in Philippians 4, 7, But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. And for his sake, I've suffered loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. For me to live is Christ. To die is gain. That's what a man says when he knows the value of Christ. Oh, would it be true of us? Would it start here? Be true of me. Perhaps the best illustration of understanding the value of Christ was shared with at Billy Graham's funeral this weekend by his daughter, Ruth, the lesser known daughter. She said, I was married for 21 years, sharing at her father's funeral. She said, I was married for 21 years when suddenly we ended in divorce. I was a disaster. It was like the rug was ripped out from under my feet. And she said, I was guilt-ridden. I was filled with shame. I was lost, confused, hurt. And then her family said, Ruth, move home. Come close to us so that we can support you and love you. And so as she did, she found a good church, she said, and she said her pastor introduced her to what, who she described as a good-looking widower. And so as she started to get to know him, her daughters did not like, her kids did not like this man. Said, Mom, we don't like him. And she says, they don't know what's best for my life. And her mother called her and said, Let's slow down. And, and Billy Graham, her dad, called and said, why don't we slow down so we can all get to know him and, and all just be careful about this decision. But she said, I was stubborn, I was willful, I was sinful. And so just a few weeks later, we got married on New Year's Eve. And she said, 24 hours later, I realized I had made a tragic mistake again. She said, five weeks later, I was moving out, fleeing for safety. She said, I was riddled with shame and guilt and couldn't believe I had done it again. And the last thing I wanted to do was bring shame on my dad. And she said, you can imagine, ladies, she said, the last thing I want to do is bring shame on Billy Graham. She said, so I called my dad and he said, come home. She said, I was driving in the winding roads of the mountainsides, wondering question after question, what will he say? Will it be condemnation? Will it be shame? What will he say to me? And as she turned the hill and she comes up the hill to the gate of their home, 
She sees her dad, Billy Graham, standing at the gate waiting for her. She gets out of the car. She walks to her dad. He opens his arms. Then he embraces her with unconditional love. No condemnation, she said. Just unconditional love. No shame, just unconditional love. And she looked at those in the funeral for her dad, and she said, my dad wasn't God, but he showed me what God is like that day. That's the treasure of Christ. Do you know Christ that way? That all of your sins, all the guilt, all the shame, that he, by his blood that was shed on the cross, took the shame, took the condemnation, so that God opens his arms to you with unconditional love and acceptance, and there is no shame, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. That's the treasure of Jesus Christ. Today we're going to participate in the Lord's Supper. Now I invite you during this time of the Lord's Supper to be thinking about that very issue. That the blood that is symbolized in the juice and the body of Christ that's symbolized in the, the cracker is, is to remind us of the infinite worth of Jesus Christ. He is the reason that God can unconditionally receive us because the condemnation is poured out on Jesus. That's why he came on Palm Sunday and lived the perfect life and gave his life on the cross. It was to take our sin, our shame, our condemnation. Paul, a follower of Christ, speaks about the Lord's Supper this way in 1 Corinthians He says, for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. This is at the Last Supper, Paul Paul talking about when Jesus was with his disciples at the Last Supper before going to the cross. Paul received the instructions about the Lord's Supper coming from that night. He says, the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took the bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so today we partake of the Lord's Supper, proclaiming the Lord's death. If you have children... Just talk to them about it. Use this time to teach them, to to give them a yearning and a a longing, any desire for them that they have to take of this. Turn it to Jesus. Tell them to desire Christ, to desire trusting in him, that he is the greatest treasure, that his blood and his body alone are what give us freedom from condemnation and guilt and sin. And then also as we pass the elements out, let it be a time of preparing your own heart, as Paul instructs us to, to do, he says in eleven twenty seven, whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. So let a person examine himself then. And so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. So what we see is that if you are not a believer yet in Christ, you should not partake of this because it's not something that you can say you're doing to to 
honor the blood and body of Christ. Or if you are a believer and you have sin that you're not confessing, that you're not willing to deal with, then you shouldn't take this because this says that in repentance and faith in the blood and the body of Jesus Christ, I am praising God and remembering what this means for me. And so as we invite the men to come forward, I invite you to be in a spirit of prayer and, and ask the Lord to examine your heart and so that you will do this uh, Lord's Supper in faith. Father, as we enter into a time of examining our hearts, Lord, we ask that your spirit will, will test us and, and reveal to us any areas of unrighteousness that, that we need to repent of and, and confess, Lord. I pray that you will do a work by the Spirit among us this morning and that those who don't know Christ will be drawn to Christ through this picture of salvation. This represents the body of our Lord Jesus Christ, which was pierced for our transgressions. Let's eat together. This represents the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. Let us drink together. <clears throat> Father God in heaven, we gather this morning partaking of this Lord's Supper to remember the infinite value of your blood and your body shed for our sin. That in your blood and your sacrifice, because of your sacrifice, God opens his arms to us, unconditionally loving us unconditionally. There's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And so I pray this morning as we sing this song about coming to the altar, I pray you will come to the altar, that you'll literally consider coming up and recommitting your life to Christ, having been reminded of the infinite value of the blood of Jesus Christ, lay down at the altar any, anything that you've been holding on to, not willing to sacrifice for Christ. Or perhaps there'll be people today that will trust Christ for the first time, seeing the value, the infinite worth of Christ, and for the first time going all in with Jesus. I pray the Lord will move powerfully in our midst this morning. And we open the altar for this time of prayer and commitment during this song. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Norris Ferry Community Church located in Shreveport, Louisiana. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Norris Ferry Community Church, please visit us online at norrisferrychurch.org.